Hello, and welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. Every week we'll cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation, so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we get started, I've had some feedback about the music for the podcast and some people feel it's a bit creepy and spooky. I was sort of hopefully going for a more deep thinking vibe, but I've taken that valuable advice on board and the last thing I want to do is sound like someone who's trying to bring a spooky vibe to reincarnation. So I felt a change is in the offing. But I'd still like to thank Raphael Crux for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site because this music is also one of his awesome offerings. Raphael Crux, I love your work. Also, apologies if I sound a little different, but my headphones finally gave up the ghost and I had to get a new pair. But let's get into today's episode as we discuss the intriguing subject of buried treasure. Even the words evoke an image of pirates on the high sea, mystery, adventure, and wealth beyond measure. But of course there's no such thing as buried treasure in the real world. Or is there? Today Jim and I delve into the cases of reincarnation that do indeed contain accounts of buried treasure, and discuss how treasure can not only mean wealth or riches, it can also indicate hidden or private knowledge. So join us now as we dig into this interesting topic. Hello there, Jim. It's good to talk to you again today. Well, hello, Marilyn. Glad to be back. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to, to spend time with you. I always enjoy our chats. I've been looking at your site, the uh, Science Cyclopedia site that you've done. You've been doing a lot of work recently on your Buried Treasure site. So I thought we might talk about that one today. Okay, wonderful. It's a great topic. It, it's yeah. really, really interesting, isn't it? So what do you define as being buried treasure in relation to reincarnation? Well, it's a term that Ian Stevenson used, actually. He introduced it. It can be exactly what the term says, buried treasure. What, what it is, is valuables which are buried, sometimes literally buried or hidden uh, by uh, the previous person um, of a reincarnation case, and then not known by anybody else. They forget to tell people, you know, tell someone else where the treasure, the money, usually it's valuables, were hidden before they die. And so sometimes those things are discovered after their deaths and removed. Other times they're not. But uh, in either case, the children subjects of these cases remember having done this. <laughs> which is kind of incredible, right? Nobody else knew it. And yet uh, the children <laughs> inherited their memories, recall it. Um, and they lead people to these places and show them where these valuables are that had not been discovered, dig, dig them up for them and so forth. And sometimes it's literally buried, but not always, but hidden in some fashion. I've covered the case of Shanti Devi and Shanti did that, right. didn't she? She did. Uh, she had a loose floorboard in her room where she hid some money. Uh, now, her our widower uh, discovered that uh, after her death and removed it so that uh, you may recall or your listener, you will recall, but your listeners may recall or those who have read the case, be acquainted with it, may remember that um, uh, Shanti Devi is one of those cases in which there was a, um, a written record actually made of her statements before they were verified. Uh, there was actually a team, a government-sponsored team. Gandhi, in fact, uh, ordered this investigation. 
um, that went with her back to uh, the town that she recalled having lived. And she led the way back to her home and showed them where she had buried this money. And it only emerged later that her widower, her previous personality's husband had discovered it and removed it because she showed where the loose floorboard was. It was pulled up, it was an empty cavity. She said, well, I had 150 rupees there. It, it turns out uh, that she was right. You know, it just wasn't there any longer. But she recalled it correctly. That's one of the things I found completely fascinating about her case is that for a start, it was so documented before that anything yeah. sort of was really investigated. And then to have the committee come along and actually verify it You've got to say there's not much more definitive proof than you can have than that, really. I, you know, one wouldn't think so. You know, and, and yet there are skeptics who have come up with, with ways to explain this, that memories are still wrong, that they're forgotten. I mean, I mean how could that be? If, if there are a group of people who are watching this, you know, how can several people get it wrong and write it down wrong immediately, you know? And, then there are other people who say, oh, it's her clairvoyance. She must have found it through clairvoyance. Well, you could say that if, if you wish, but, but that doesn't really suffice to explain a lot of other uh, things that she remembered and, and said. I mean, it really, it, it's pushing things to use this ESP explanation. She knew so much about her past life. Even in returning to the train, I think she walked past her parents' house and went, that's my parents' house. Like, I mean... Right. You know, so how do you describe that as sort of psi ability rather than being a memory as such? So so what would you say is the oldest case you've ever heard of of buried treasure? The oldest one of literal buried treasure would be published in 1860. Uh, so it had been or sometime earlier than that. It's from Lebanon. Um, and I, it's an interesting case. It was a Druze case, a, actually Syria, a Syrian Druze case that was uh, reported by... Um, a British uh, physician who was in Syria for some years, and he wrote a book about it. And the Druze uh, live in the mountainous area of Syria, Lebanon, Israel, in this area there. A boy who, um, he recalled having been um, a wealthy man of Damascus. And he wanted to go there, like many of these children. He said, you know, you know, let me show you the way there. I can show you the way to my my previous house. He seemed to remember it well enough. And in fact, he led in his family. I mean, this is back when you needed to walk you know, everywhere. Uh, so, you know, he, he walked the whole way, uh, pointing out, you know, uh, the sights along the way. Um, and when he got to the city, walked through the streets uh, to his house, said he was, the, he said he was his house. This is a young child. They, they knocked on the door. A woman came to the door. He uh, told her he was her late husband, uh, returned as a child. Uh, she asked him questions. He recognized people, you know, answered the questions correctly, recognized various people. And then he mentioned, he said to her, well, now, did you find the money that I had buried in the cellar? Uh, and she hadn't found it. Well, he went down there, dug it up. Uh, it told them how much he had there, told them what nomination went, sure enough. It was exactly right what he had said. It was buried there. So that's the earliest buried treasure. But there are earlier cases of the, a similar sort of phenomenon, and that is just valuables or 
particles important to the previous person, that it were secreted in some way, uh, you know, unbeknownst to others, that the children found. And the earliest case like that uh, actually is a Chinese case that is, uh, I believe it's third millennium CE, where a child went to a certain mulberry tree on the border between his house and his neighbor's house. Or he, I think he asked somebody first where was his ring and nobody knew where his ring was. So he went to the tree and he pulled it out <laughs> from this, this place uh, in the tree where he had apparently left it. He had been a child before when he died. And his neighbor came out and said, where did you find this? This was my dead child's, you know. Um, so that's the, you know, there, there are cases like this too. It's not really valuable, it's not really buried, but it's the same sort of phenomenon of, of things that were secreted, hidden uh, by the previous persons that are then remembered by uh, these case subjects when they're children. It's incredible when you look back on the things that can be remembered and that the people still pull up. It's, in, it's incredible. But it's interesting, too, that you brought up the Druze before, because there is a very famous case. And as you say on Sci Encyclopedia, it's one I've never really covered because it's very hard to verify. But I'm sure that most people who've had anything to do with reincarnation are aware of it. And that's the one of the little boy who was able to identify his murderer and point to his body. Ah, uh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, because actually, um, Erlinda Harrelson, who was my co-author for my first book, I saw life and came here. He did a lot of work in Lebanon among the Druze. And he asked his Druze contacts to look into this case. And they did, and they couldn't find anything. And they couldn't substantiate any part of this story. So it's very hard to prove a negative, right? You know, we could find no substance behind it. It, it seems to be a fake story. And yet it's, or was for a while uh, all over the internet. And you still see it occasionally. After our report of it came out, that died down a little bit. The original report has been taken down, um, you know, but it, I've st I still see it occasionally. But yes, a lot of people know about that case, but it's not true. Um, what it's about is a supposedly a boy, um, it, when taken back to the place that uh, he remembered having lived and been killed, pointed out his killer and also where his body had been buried and uh, where the weapon used to kill him was. Well, none of that um, turns out to be true. And in fact, when you, when, you, if you, when you go back and then read the story knowing that it's not true, there's several things that jump out at you, or at least to those of us who are familiar with this research. For instance, the kids who remember their killers are scared of them. You know, they, they really are scared of them. It's almost a phobic thing. In fact, there's an Indian case um, of, of a child who recalled having uh, been killed by a washerman and a barber whose phobia generalized to all washermen and barbers and to the location in which he was killed. I mean, very, this is, this is typical. But this boy, in this case, marches right up to his killer and, and challenges him. It just doesn't ring true. I mean, it just doesn't. So, yeah, that's sort of well-known. And so thank you for the opportunity to debunk it. But it shows that one has to be careful with this research because there are these cases that are not valid. We shouldn't get into that today because we have an interesting topic as it is. But, yeah, I, this is why these cases have got to be investigated because 
until you investigate them, you don't really know. You cannot be sure that they are on the level. The Druze are difficult anyway as a people to investigate their history because their history is mainly passed down from word of mouth. Is that right? Well, increasingly, they're, they're literate like everyone else. Uh, but yeah, for a long time, it was all oral. That's right. But, but another dimension of this is the religion in particular is secret. Now, reincarnation, it, it's more part of their psychology and of their sociology than of their religion. There are aspects of it that are in their religion. You know, for instance, God, not karma, God directs one to one's new life. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, there are aspects of, uh, of reincarnation that are, you know, part of the religious teachings. But a reincarnation in and of itself is just accepted as a fact of life. Uh, it's not a feature of the religion per se. And so it is easier to get people to talk about uh, these cases than if it were simply a religious belief. I want to talk a bit about Sci Encyclopedia because you have been doing a lot of work on the page. And yeah. There's some really, really interesting stories, and I really would like to point my listeners to having a look at Science Encyclopedia. Both Jim and KM do, uh, do quite a lot of work about putting in the cases, and there's some fascinating ones there, especially about buried treasure because you've just updated it. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I, I just updated it to bring in some new, to bring in some new information, some you know, new cases, and also a little bit of new analysis here. Yeah, so the Science Encyclopedia is, is something that's sponsored by the Society for Psychical Research in London. And it covers all areas of parapsychology. Unlike Wikipedia, uh, which can be accessed by anybody and edited by anybody, and there are valuable things about that. But on the other hand, you know, the, the editors are sometimes heavy-handed and they're skeptical. And so anytime anybody tries to write anything sort of pro-parapsychology, uh, Somebody will go in and, you know, and, and remove it. And that was the rationale behind the Science Encyclopedia. So the, the pieces that we write are signed, first of all. And it, uh, no one other than a Science Encyclopedia author or editor has access to them. Um, so it's not a communal project, you know, which means that we can update them, but not anybody can get in and, and ruin them, essentially. Um, yeah, so it's a broad project. I mean, it's not just the reincarnation stuff. Um, you know, it, it's broad, but yes, we, we have almost 70 articles now. It's not just case studies, uh, but broader analyses and reviews and things like that. Um, so yes, I thank you for mentioning that. I mean, I think it's a great resource. And I have to agree with you. When I do a lot of my research, often I start off with Science Encyclopedia because there's just so much information there and um, it often leads me on to sort of other resources as well which is quite interesting and good and I agree with you that it's good to have a site where you've got people who are known in the field and have a history in research who are actually doing this and that it can't be tampered with. I think one of the big problems and we discuss this quite a lot you and I is that um, for us it's important to get the cases out there and I think that because of the sceptical nature of some people, they're never really going to allow that to happen in what you would call something mainstream like Wikipedia. You're always going to have people trying to dive bomb it effectively. Yeah, exactly, unfortunately. Yeah, so it is a great site. And actually, it's good that it does tie into the whole site thing because as I've realised through doing my quest of this whole thing, 
reincarnation is actually tied to psi, whether you like it or you don't. It, it has aspects of it. Yes, it does. You know, and that's a that's a very good insight to have. Um, you know, and it's not just psi. I mean, it's all aspects of survival too. With by psi, we mean um, ESP basically and psychokinesis, mind over matter, uh, which enter in various ways. You know, and not just through these attempts to explain the cases away, but also. The reincarnation stuff overlaps with mediumship, with apparitions, with all other areas of survival research. So, you know, it all ties together. It really does. With regards to the uh, buried treasure case, you decided to bring it back to our subject. They are slightly different in the east to the west because of life, aren't they, in a way? Like people might say, well, there's a lot more of these cases in India or there's a lot more of these cases in Sri Lanka and we don't have it happening in the Western world. But that's more because of life, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, particularly in the older cases, we're talking about uh, situations where, you know, banks weren't readily available. There weren't places to really keep your money, right? The only way that if you had any sort of wealth to keep it uh, to yourself was to hide it. And then the danger is if you don't tell somebody else about it, uh, that you can die without having passed it on. And that's what happens here. But I think that's why uh, you tend to find this phenomenon in the villages in Asia and in older cases and not so much in modern cases. Although you find you get similar phenomena in modern cases too. Because of the change in the world now and banks are more readily available. Um, I was going to ask if you thought that buried treasure cases are more likely to die out a little bit. Well, yeah, I would sort of expect that. I mean, the literal buried treasure cases, uh, you know, because there are other ways, there are better ways. So you have to be really um, somewhat eccentric now, uh, not to trust your bank with your money, but to hide it somewhere else. And so, uh, but, you know, there may still be people who will put securities somewhere, for instance, and other than in a bank box. But by and large, there are other ways now of, of preserving assets. On the other hand, I mean, there's no reason why there can't be other sorts of things hidden, you know, not money so much, uh, but maybe other, another kind of valuable that was secreted for some sort of reason, you know, like that ring in a tree or whatever. And more generally, in, a, in the rewrite of the article, I point out that the buried treasure, hidden treasure is really a special case of what we might be called private knowledge. And private knowledge is simply knowledge, which is private, right? Um, and, um, you know, when you generalize it beyond then hidden treasure to private knowledge, then that's something that you do see in modern cases. For instance, uh, there's one case that, that I wrote about in my last book, Rylan O'Banion, who remembered something really remarkable that was confirmed by the previous person's autopsy report that I got hold of, but no one knew about, had never been written about, was not mentioned in any of the news stories. Here's the story about this. What Ryland recalled is dying in a plane crash or dying when a plane crashed, actually, it's a bizarre thing, crashed into her home. It was a Pan Am flight, took off from the New Orleans airport, hit a low altitude wind shear, came down in less than a mile from the end of the runway, crashed into a residential neighborhood. And Ryland was one of the people on the ground who was killed. Well, she recalled seeing this plane come towards her. 
she also said that she was talking on the telephone at the time and that that she thought that she had been electrocuted over the telephone line. Now, it turned out that the electrical lines and the telephone lines passed on the same poles directly in front of her house. And that the plane in crashing into her house would have severed those lines. This is 1983, but believe it or not, in 1983, the power lines in that area were not insulated. So you've got uninsulated power lines being brought into contact quite possibly with the telephone lines. So, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but there are instances of electrical charges over telephone lines and of electrocutions over telephone lines. So given the set of circumstances, it is possible. Now, her autopsy report said her body was recovered from the floor of the carport and that there was no soot in her trachea. Her blood was not discolored. And what that indicates is that she had died before the fire reached her because when the plane crashed into the house, it set the house on fire. So her body was 100% burned, but she had died before the fire. She wasn't hit by the plane and, and killed. She died before that. And it would have been just a matter of a few seconds before that, right? So it, it becomes very plausible that she was, in fact, electrocuted. Not documented anywhere. No one thought about it. Uh, and here she comes up with it, you know. And so private knowledge, you know. And so we do get this sort of private knowledge in modern cases. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it, that she described that she'd been killed by the phone line. Speaking of the Drews case, have you ever had a case where people have actually been able to remember where they were murdered or where their body was found or anything that's actually been proven like a case like that? I don't think I've ever come across one. Have you? That I personally have uh, have studied? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I don't think so. Well, it's been an interesting discussion. Thanks very much, Jim, to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Marilyn. I really do enjoy talking with you. And we might remind people, and I think you'll put this up uh, when you post this. You know, I linked to the the Science Encyclopedia article on hidden treasure because that'll give people more leads, uh, not only to the cases that we discussed today, but to others, similar ones, and to the whole phenomenon of of private knowledge, uh, which is, is a special case. So... Yes, check out Science Encyclopedia if you're interested in learning anything about the cases because there are so many cases on there. And while I want to cover as many cases as I can, I don't think I'll ever cover all of the cases. And we do have a lot, but there's so many more, you know, too. I mean, there's just the there's a embarrassment of riches here, really, for all of us. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? When I first started doing the podcast, I thought, I'm not really sure if I'm wise doing this because I don't know how many cases there are out there. But as you're going along, you just keep finding more and more and more and more. It's incredible. And, and they're coming out all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm working, I'm working on two new cases now. Oh, really? Oh, you'll have to let us know when you're ready to publish. We'll yeah. have a chat about them. That'd be great. Well, right. thanks so much, Jim. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll sign off there and we'll catch up next time. Well, thanks, Marilyn. And uh, talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Sorry, this conversation with Jim was a little short, but as we frequently do, We wandered quite off topic in the middle there and I had to cut it all out. But I think we covered the main points relating to buried treasure anyway. I have kept these interesting side conversations we have and I might put them together at some point so you can hear them because 
Jim frequently does give a whole new insight into reincarnation and raises some really interesting points. But for now, I'll finish with my usual roundup of things that we discussed. Apologies for harking back to Shanti Devi again, but her case really was unique because it contained quite a few of the really interesting phenomena that surround reincarnation. For example, Shanti didn't only give a really good example of buried treasure by being able to point out the spot that she'd hidden money, she was also able to give an excellent example of hidden knowledge too. On the second occasion that Kedarnath came to visit Shanti Devi, he was still somewhat sceptical and he asked for proof as he felt that her knowledge could have been staged and she only told him things that might have been common knowledge. So they spoke privately and during that conversation Shanti Devi was able to relate to Kedarnath that he had insisted on his conjugal rights with Lugati Devi even though she had a physical injury that made it difficult for her. She told him that Lugati Devi could only participate in one position and that when she reached a point where she physically couldn't comply any longer because of the pregnancy, he began looking at other women. She related to Kedar Nath that she'd been out in the courtyard waiting for him and when he didn't come out to her, she walked back to the house again even though it was physically very difficult for her at this point and she heard Kedar Nath flirting with the nurse who came from Aligarh to tend to Lugati Devi for several weeks before she went to hospital for the birth of the child that would ultimately take her life. Kedar Nath was shocked and embarrassed and horrified as he hadn't even been aware that Lugati Devi herself was aware of those events. When Shanti's parents rejoined Shanti and Kedar Nath, they found them wrapped in each other's arms, both crying hard, and Kedar Nath told them, Everything Shanti Devi has said is correct. I swear it in the name of Krishna. Nobody can have any doubts. Lugati Devi has returned. With regard to the other stories Jim spoke of, unfortunately I can't give you any more information about the Chinese boy finding the ring in the mulberry tree, or the boy who knew where to find the money and dig it up, as they're pretty much the only facts that we have about those cases. Researching cases from the past can be extremely difficult, as there usually isn't a lot of recorded information, and in the case of the really early accounts, there can also be a mythological overlay that muddies the waters somewhat. For some of the other cases we touched on, however, I can provide a little more information. With regard to Rylan O'Banion, Jim has written this case up on Encyclopedia, so I will just read his account largely verbatim from the Encyclopedia site, starting a few sentences in, so you can hear Jim in action, so to speak. So, Rylan's case appeared in an episode of the television program Ghost Inside My Child in 2014, when she was six. But Jim interviewed her four years later and covered more recent developments. This case also includes a written record of statements and behaviours before the previous person was actually identified. Ryland's mother had been in email contact with the Ghost Inside My Child producers for months before Ryland related the memories that led to the case being solved. Before she began talking about the previous life... Rylan showed signs of extreme emotional distress. She sleepwalked most nights and complained that her shirts hurt her neck, shoulders and back. She said that it felt as if her skin was burning. Her family couldn't understand what was wrong. Nothing in her short life could account for these reactions. 
The mystery deepened after her mother arranged for photographs to be taken of the family in the yard of their home in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Afterwards, whenever she saw one of these pictures, Rylan remarked that she'd been bigger in it, a statement which made no sense until, more than a year later, she said that she'd died before. After this, Rylan began to relate memories of the previous life and then three years on, when she was six, recalled having died when a plane crashed into their home. She thought that this had occurred in Canada or perhaps Louisiana. Through an internet search, her mother learned that a Pan-American plane had crashed into a house upon takeoff from the New Orleans airport in Kenner, Louisiana in 1982, 26 years before Ryland was born. The accident resulted in the deaths of all aboard and six people on the ground, including an 11-year-old girl, Jennifer Schultz. The things Ryland had been saying fit what could be learned about Jennifer and her neighbourhood. In her interview with Jim when she was 10, Ryland said that she thought that Jennifer had been electrocuted while talking on the telephone, sitting on a swing in her house's carport. Unable to confirm this through information available online, Jim went to Kenner, where he talked with Jennifer's friends. He determined not only that many of Ryland's memories were accurate, her personality and habits also matched Jennifer. He visited the site of Jennifer's house and discovered that Jennifer's view at her death would have been very similar to what Ryland had been looking at when the picture was taken in her backyard in Oklahoma. No one knew exactly what had happened to Jennifer, however. Jim obtained her autopsy report, which stated that her body had been recovered from the floor of the carport. There was no soot in her trachea and no discoloration of her blood, which indicated that she was dead before the fire that engulfed her house after the crash reached her. Jennifer might indeed have died from electrocution, as Rylan asserted, although since the fire had left her body completely burned, this couldn't be confirmed. The other case that Jim mentions is that of an Indian boy who remembers being murdered by a barber and a washerman. In 1951, in one of the suburbs of Kanaj, a little boy was born to a man named Ram Gupta, who named his newborn son Ravi Shankar. However, from the age of three, the little boy kept repeating that his name wasn't Ravi Shankar. He told his father that his past-life father's name was Jagashwar, and that his father was a barber. Ravi Shankar related that he'd been murdered by another barber called Jahawa and a washerman named Chituri. He was able to identify the scene of the crime and other circumstances about his life and death. He said that he'd been killed by having his throat slit. As proof of this story, the boy pointed to a long scar on his neck. Under the ridge of his chin, there was a linear mark crossing the neck in a transverse direction. It was around two inches long and was approximately one-eighth of an inch wide. It was dark in pigment and had the stippled quality of a scar and looked remarkably like a healed knife wound. He kept asking for toys, describing a toy pistol and a wooden elephant that he once owned. After a few years, word reached Sri Jagashwar Prasad a barber in the Chapati district. Jagashwar's son, Ashok Munakumar, 
had been murdered by Jagashwa's neighbours in the hope that they might inherit the barber's property. So from here on in we'll call the murdered boy Munna because that was the name that people seemed to know him as. At that time another barber, who was indeed called Jahawa, and a washerman named Chaturi, were suspected of committing the crime, but the case was dropped as there was insufficient evidence to make a case against them. Munna's murder had occurred six months before Ravi Shankar had been born. Jagashwar went to meet the boy, who was aged four when they met, and Munna recognised him as his father from the past life. He described an account of Munna's murder that corresponded closely with a confession that was extracted from one of the murderers, who he was able to pick out in the crowd. So that wraps up our coverage of buried treasure and private knowledge. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation, or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them. And I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose. Mm-hmm.